Do you read the Bible, Brett? Yes. Well, there's this passage I got memorized that sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I <laughs> lay my vengeance upon thee. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Hello, Tatum. Uh, do you want to go ahead and share with us anything fun that you've been watching this week? Sure. It's um, not been a very movie-heavy week for me because I've mostly been continuing with my rewatch of Mad Men, which we discussed last week. Uh, How far are you at this point? I am now about uh, a few episodes into season three, maybe a third of the way through season three. Okay. Nice. Continue to be blown away. By the show, by the way it it tracks the development of these characters. I just I love the writing of this show and how each episode is kind of a, a short story in and of itself. And it tends to be focused around some sort of theme that the different storylines are converging around. And so after each episode, I'm thinking, oh, what what is this episode about? What is it saying? And I love the way each of the characters are the kind of slow way you see them develop and make choices when small mundane things happen in their lives. Um, you know, it's not a show where it, it's dramatic in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of people sleeping around and people get into car accidents and things like that. But it's also just a show about people living their lives and kind of being confronted by everyday change and realities and having to make decisions and, you know, to, trying to do whether to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And usually they do the wrong thing or you know, something will happen. And you can see that even if they don't explicitly state it, you can see the way that has affected them and the choices that they make later and something that seems unrelated. Um, this is, I think, particularly true for Betty. I really love Betty is such a frustrating character in many ways because she's such a terrible mother and she can be so <laughs> harsh to the people around her. But she is really fascinating to watch in the ways that um, she reacts to how limited her circumstances are and um, how Dawn's betrayal changes her in this profound way. And Anyway, so yeah, I, I continue to be blown away by my watch. In terms of movies, um, the only really significant thing I did watch this week, apart from Mad Men, is I 
went to the theater and saw the Titanic 3D re-release. Um, you saw it in 3D? In 3D, yes. Why did they keep re-releasing that movie in 3D? I don't I understand. I do not understand. <laughs> and I will say, so this was only my second time watching it the whole way through. Um, I last watched it the whole way through at the beginning of college, so it'd been, it's been quite a while at this point. And um, I'd never seen it in 3D. I will say it was the worst 3D projection I have ever experienced in my life. And I really should have gotten up and said something. But it's one of those Wait, situations. What would that have done if you said anything? Like, well, why I could have gone. Projection? I, I should have gone and asked the the staff people at the theater um, if they could check on it and see if they could fix it. <clears throat> and if oh, they couldn't, okay. I might have been been able to get some sort of a you know, a voucher for a free showing or something like that. Cause I've, I've experienced things like that before, but it was one of those situations where I was alone in the theater and no one else seemed to be too bothered by it. So I thought maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So the, it was, you know how in 3d there's like different layers um, to that they're creating through the 3d mm-hmm. where some things appear to be closer and some things appear to be further one of the layers seemed to be messed up. And so you would have a shot where something in the foreground was clear and something in the background was extremely blurry. Like hmm. you were seeing double basically. And then in the, it would be reversed and the thing in the foreground would be, you'd be seeing double and the thing in the background would be clear. It was very weird. Something must have been messed up. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know if it was the theater's fault or if it was the, the file they had was corrupted, but it was disappointing because I, it really did, I think, affect my viewing. Titanic is not really a movie that I am in love with. I've never fully connected with the love story, to be completely honest. And I know that's kind of sacrilegious to say. Um, I really, I'm always, I'm fascinated by the story of Titanic. I was obsessed with Titanic when I was a kid. And so I love everything about the movie that is um you know, about the real historical characters, about the ship, about the historical context. But the actual love story at the center of it always leaves me a bit cold. And I don't think that's an uncommon opinion. Really? Yeah. I mean, I felt the same way for a long time. I'm like, I I like the ending more than anything else in the movie. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. that makes Story-wise. Me- story-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Because I definitely, in, in this viewing, um, you know, projection issues aside, at the end when Rose is, um, spoiler alert, Jack is frozen in the ocean and, and Rose is whispering, I won't let go. I could just hear all of the sobbing around me of all, Wait, the, really? all the teenage girls. Yes. Who'd come oh, to they see- must have never seen the movie before. No. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. But I would not okay. be surprised if they knew it and they just came because they wanted to see it and sob. I, I feel like it is that kind of movie for some people where you know, you, it's this sort of emotional catharsis you go, that you go through and you experience the hope and then you experience the sadness and then you experience the hope again at the end. I've never even come close to crying watching that movie. Yeah. Never. Yeah. But I, I was mean, completely dried eyed, but you know, it works for some people and I, I am happy for them. So I find it interesting that you don't connect with it because I know <sighs> I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but that's fine. Um, the reason that I don't like the love story is because it's very similar to Romeo and Juliet, and I really don't like that story. <laughs> I don't connect with the love story at all, um, just in general. You're just not a um, a fan of the two people from opposite sides of the tracks falling in love in a very short period of time 
I just don't think that I, I don't believe that you can fall in love with someone so quickly in like two days that you literally will die for them. But it's not that I don't believe that. Anyway, this is a tangent that I'm not going to go into, but I'll just say I'm surprised because I know you connect with the Romeo and Juliet story. So it surprises me that you don't connect with the Titanic story. Well, I have to be honest, when I experience Romeo and Juliet stories, it's usually more that I, I connect with the movie as a whole than that I connect with the love story specifically. I would not say I'm a big... Oh, interesting. Okay. But I love something like West Side Story, and it's because I think the movie itself is fantastic. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And also, I have mixed feelings about Leonardo DiCaprio, which <laughs> you're aware of and we've, we've talked about before. I like yeah. him a lot as an actor in certain contexts and mm-hmm. not in others. Yeah, I mean, I think Titanic is purely him being a heartthrob at that point in his career. Yeah, um, and I've never been sold on a heartthrob, heartthrob Leo. He he really does nothing for me. So, yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm I'm sorry that your projection sucked. That sounds really annoying, especially yeah. to watch that for like three and a half hours. Ugh. Yeah. At a certain point, I, I started to tune it out a little bit, but I'm in retrospect, I really am kicking myself for not saying something and possibly gotten a free movie voucher out of it. <laughs> but also, who's asking to see that movie in 3D? Like, I just... I know. It, this is it's also... Not the- a, it's not a movie that needs to be in 3D, but I don't know. It's just my opinion. Uh, okay. Well, What about I, you? Have you seen anything this week? Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to continue to be that way, probably. But yeah, I haven't watched anything this week other than Pulp Fiction. Um, so... Yeah, without further ado, I guess let's uh, transition into talking about that. Let's do it. So, yeah. um, Today on the show, we will be discussing the 1994 masterpiece, Pulp Fiction. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, the film stars John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Bruce Willis, Tim Roth, Ving Rhames, Harvey Keitel, Eric Stoltz, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Madero, I don't speak French, and Christopher Walken. That's a lot of people. The film revolves around three different stories that weave together in non-chronological order. A young, impulsive couple scheming to rob a diner, two hitmen doing the job of acquiring and returning to their mob boss a briefcase holding an unknown precious item, and lastly, a boxer trying to escape L.A. with his girlfriend after betraying that very same mob boss, Marcellus Wallace. After being a breakout director in 1992 at the age of 29 with his debut film Reservoir Dogs, people awaited Tarantino's second film. Just two years later, Pulp Fiction was released and Quentin Tarantino immediately became a force to be reckoned with. With Pulp Fiction's unique editing style, dialogue, and incredible soundtrack, many fell in love with Tarantino's stories and wanted to see more. However, his career has not gone without criticism. Pulp Fiction is notably somewhat controversial due to Quentin Tarantino's unfiltered depictions of violence and drugs, as well as his unashamed use of the N-word and several other racial profanities. This is actually a common criticism that he has had to defend, uh, that he's had to creatively defend throughout his entire filmography. But regardless, this film grossed approximately $108 million at the U.S. box office. U.S. box office, making it the first indie film to surpass 100 million in the country. And this film was not only a hit in the U.S., it was a global hit. And believe it or not, in Britain, uh, the book form of the screenplay became a top 10 bestseller. And I think my father is one of the people who bought 
the book form of the screenplay. I think he has it somewhere in his stash. That's really um, I had no idea about that. Yeah, this this movie be- became iconic. It was one of the most talked about films of that year. Um, people bought the screenplay book. People have had movie posters everywhere. People still have this movie poster up and around. Everyone knows this movie poster. Foundational movies of the last yes. 30 years. I feel like as far as movie posters go, everyone knows like Pulp Fiction, Jaws, you know, very specific ones. But Pulp Fiction is definitely one that everyone recognizes. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, just the the movie in general, a little bit about the plot and just what happened in that cultural moment uh, when the film came out. It it had a huge impact on um, it just kind of shook things up at the time. And I wish that I had been old enough to really um, participate in that conversation. Like if I was my age now when this movie was coming out back in, at that time, I would have loved being a part of that conversation. It would have been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it was definitely, it was so interesting watching this because this was my first time watching it, as you know. And Hold on, sort of, wait, wait, don't what? say anything yet. Don't say no, anything I'm not going to give my reaction. I was just going oh, okay, to say okay. it's <laughs> interesting watching it and saying, oh, this is the origin of a lot of, you know, Pulp Fiction ripoffs, basically, mm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I have seen throughout the um, throughout my life of, you know, multiple storylines, intersecting characters, very fast, talk-heavy, you know, fast-paced dialogue, people having conversations that suddenly interrupt into brutal violence, like Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction didn't invent, you know, multiple interlocking storylines, but a lot of it really i think popularized it and i've seen a lot of crime and crime adjacent movies that ape um this style mm-hmm. yeah so the reason why i kind of almost cut you short there is because i wanted to say before you say anything i just want to communicate to you and to whoever might be listening i am incredibly nervous right now because i know that Quentin Tarantino is not particularly Geneva's cup of tea all the time. I know she's never seen this movie. This Quentin Tarantino is one of my like top, top directors of all time. I love his films. Inglorious Bastards is one of my top, top favorite movies of all time. And I watched this movie last night. Um, I had not actually seen this movie in probably about 10 years. And rewatching it last night, I actually was debating in my brain. I was like, do I actually like this movie more than Inglorious Bastards? Is this my favorite Quentin Tarantino film? Because it might be. So I was kind of rethinking that process. So this is one of my favorite directors of all time. This is one of my favorite movies he's ever made. I know Geneva is not always a fan of Quentin Tarantino. So I'm very, very nervous right now. Geneva, if you hated the movie, I respect you. I still love you, but I'm terrified. So please tell me what you thought about this movie. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you know I love you as well. And I respect your taste. Oh, no. I know what's coming. (laughs) Oh, I'm so upset already. No, I will say, I will say, I I appreciate this movie. I think it is extremely well made. I'm very glad I saw it. It really made me think. And... Yeah, I can see why it was so influential. It is very much not my cup of tea. (laughs) Um, But I think there's a lot of interesting things about it. And I'm very excited to hear all of your thoughts on it. (laughs) (laughs) And to process it more myself. And 
Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm. I mean, you you said I, I'm not a big Quentin Tarantino fan. I will say this is only my the third of his movies that I've seen, and I actually. I liked Inglorious Bastards quite a bit. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I liked for the most part. I did have some mixed feelings about the end. But the Quentin Tarantino movies I'd seen previously, I, I'm pretty positive on overall. Um, and this one, I would say I appreciate what it's doing and I appreciate the artistry behind it. I don't connect with it a whole lot personally. It, it just doesn't really... It's not sort of what... I go to and, and usually, you know, moves and excites me <laughs> when I when I watch films, but I, I can appreciate that it is a monumental achievement and yeah, that there is a lot of artistic um craft going going into it. Uh very diplomatically said. Uh <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um <clears throat> Yeah, it was funny because I, so I invited two friends over last night to watch this movie with me because we'd planned to hang out and I was like, this is the only time I can see you because this is the only free time I have. So I was watching this movie with them and I told them while we were watching it, I was like, you know, rewatching this movie, I think I was probably too young when I was showing <laughs> this movie for the first time. Oh, you think? <laughs> um, because so this movie, so first of all, I mean, I am a, sorry, just to say I am a, you know, fully grown 30 something woman. And I was in my apartment turning down and down and down the volume because I was afraid my neighbors would hear. <laughs> like, I don't want know if I want them to hear all of the racial racial slurs that are uh, coming from my TV right now. I don't know what they'll think. Yeah. So, you know, it's an intense movie. And, um, yeah, I mean, there are, you know, choices that are made, which I think, you know, were made for a reason. But it is an intense movie. That's all I'll say. It's funny that you say that because the people that I was watching this movie with last night as well were like, this is an intense movie. They'd seen it before, but they were, they kind of were saying the same thing. This movie's really tense. And for me, I honestly find this movie to be freaking hilarious. I, I, I think that this movie is a comedy that has like some drama added to it. And I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know why that is. Maybe that's because of how I was raised watching it or whatever. But like <clears throat> Samuel L. Jackson is one of my dad's favorite actors. My dad is obsessed with him. He's so fantastic and, in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he's just incredible. We love him to death. And anyone who doesn't love Samuel L. Jackson, I question your sanity. Um, but yeah, like we would just quote, this movie is so quotable. Like, there's so many things in this that we would just quote all the time growing up of like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Or like, oh, man, I just shot Marvin in the face. There are a lot of lines in or, this movie that I was like, I've heard this before. And I had no yeah. idea that it came from this movie. Yeah. Or this is a tasty burger. Check <laughs> out the big brains on Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just... There's so many great quotes in this movie and throughout watching this movie the whole time, I was just dying laughing. I think it's so funny. Obviously, there are some moments in this movie that are not funny at all. I am not able to watch the rape scene. I can't do it. Um, I, it's very difficult. I, I've, I think I only have seen it once 
back when I saw it like one of the first times because I just didn't know what I was getting into and now I'm like no I I can't I won't do this um yeah I'm, re- I'm glad that you warned me about that ahead of time because I also strategically yeah. did not look in certain places yeah it's it's pretty rough um so yeah it, it's not definitely it's definitely not like start to finish a thrill ride of just funniness um but that being said I just I love how this film is able to juggle those two different tones of it can be so funny in in moments when it shouldn't be funny and then switch to being not funny at all to then going back to being fun I don't know I just think that this movie is so so well written I think it's one of the best screenplays to ever be written and I think that Quentin Tarantino he has such a specific writing style and he is able to just write these really long conversations about nothing but at the same time at least in my opinion they're riveting you care so much about did this man actually give this give this woman a foot massage like did that actually happen we don't know, but I'm I'm invested and I care, even though they're talking about this for such a long time and we're just watching them walk from the car through the, you know, through the yard, up the stairs, down the hallway. Oh, wait, it's not time yet. Let's go the other way. <laughs> like, it's just, and then they walk in the door and they're not talking about feet anymore. They're threatening people to like to kill them for, you know, it's just the way that it juggles the different tones, the way that it's written is so unique and so well done and the editing is I think that I'm able to appreciate this movie more now than I have in the past because I have a lot more film education under my belt um I've taken a lot of film classes I've made a lot of my own stuff I've studied watching a lot more movies and things like that and the editing in this film is so incredible which is why that's the only Oscar that it won I mean it's the editing is phenomenal. And I remember there was one class that I took in college where we were talking about how editing works and how in films you can stretch time. And the clip of them um, stabbing Uma Thurman literally in the heart to bring her back from her overdose. Mm -hmm. Like that was an example in my film class of how you can stretch time because they probably just took the needle and stabbed her and that was it. But it's like, no, let's have a long shot of just the needle in his hand. Let's have a long shot of her heart with a freaking red drawn dot on it. Let's have a shot of this person staring, of that person staring, like just stretching out that time. And I just think the editing in this movie is ingenious. And I think one of the reasons why this movie is so great is it's not just that the storyline is is unique and well-written. It's also everything else about it is great the cinematography, the way the camera moves, the way the lighting works, the the costumes, the hair is such <laughs> the hair is so the important. Hair. Like the hair is so important to establishing these characters, the editing, the acting choices and the acting direction, like even just how Samuel L. Jackson, how when he enunci- when he speaks, he enunciates he enunciates all of his letters and he speaks with such and John Travolta, he has this weird, you know, kind of hilarious limp when he walks. That's so, I just, and the way that him and Uma Thurman, the different ways that they show how they're being high out of, the, it's just the directing here and the acting, all of it is just so well done. I think this is a masterpiece. I think, I want to call it a perfect film, 
but I don't think I can call it that just because of some of the problematic things that are said. Um, and I think they were problematic at the time, but I think as time has gone on, it's aged even worse (laughs) than it was. Um, and you know, that just comes with, we can talk about that and why those decisions were made. Um, one thing just to add on to the, the things that are really great about this movie, I was so struck by the cinematography. I think this Mm -hmm. movie looks absolutely gorgeous. The use of lighting is incredible. The use of color is beautiful. You know, I was just watching it being like, man, (laughs) I wish half of the (laughs) movie, I wish I, oh my goodness, just thinking about the way we are now with this sort of flat, dull, drab Netflix look that it seems like 80% of movies nowadays have, where it's just designed to be the absolute lowest common denominator, the, the easiest possible way, no thought to blocking, no thought to lighting. And then to compare that to a movie like this, which every single frame looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I, I I really, really love the the cinematography in this movie. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. And just to sound like a completely hoity-toity person, I, I don't use this phrase often because I don't want to come across as being like a, a, a film person who thinks that they're superior to other people. I don't think that... But this is a word that I will say because I think it applies so perfectly to this movie. The mise-en-scene in this film is fantastic. And just to, for if there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know what mise-en-scene is, um, it's basically the concept of when you look at a frame in a film, or maybe it's in a photograph too, I don't know, but I just learned it in the concept of film. When you look at the frame in a film, mise-en-scene is like, everything that's in the frame so it's it's the production design it's the wardrobe it's how they're standing it's the the camera like the way the camera's looking at them it's everything you see in the frame is the mise-en-scene Sing visual does mise-en-scene right. um that does not include the auditory aspects right it's no purely mm-hmm. the visual yeah purely the visual mm-hmm. yeah because i was thinking about some some of the frames in the context of the title pulp fiction which i'd love to talk about what you think that title means um but just in the idea of a a sort of pulp novel you know from the like we have you know ideas of what the covers of pulp novels from the 40s and 50s look like where it's very you know some sort of sordid um um scene you know there's a maybe a woman with her um cleavage hanging out and there's a man holding a gun that's smoking because he just shot something someone or something like that you know uh, even though we don't get exact recreations of those types of things in this movie a lot of this movie the the situations feel like that and i think the the way that the the scenes are blocked and framed are often and the, the color schemes that are used i think often evoke that sort of idea even if it's not a um it's not a period movie and it's not evoking a some uh, specific um pulp situation it's that pulpy feel that the the lighting and the cinematography give it yeah i mean i think that that was definitely tarantino's intention uh he's he's very known to be an extreme nerd uh <laughs> you know in terms of growing up and working in a, a video store and reading comics growing up and watching westerns and all that stuff And so I think that this movie is definitely him intentionally trying to capture that same sort of visual 
uh, just theme and point of view, but like put his own spin on it. And I think that that is just fascinating and so creative. And I think that he executes it really well because I think he does a good job of, of showing that he was influenced by those types of visuals, but also not full on ripping it off or copying it. He does it in his own unique way. Um, and I think it's great. Uh, I, I have a question. What, what did you think about, about the opening, um, credits where the, where the woman it, it, or honey bunny <laughs> is in the diner and she's kind of shouting everybody like, everybody shut up or I'm going to kill it. Ah! And then all of a sudden it's just a freeze frame. And then Pulp Fiction comes up on the screen and the music started like what, what did you think about that abrupt transition? And then the opening credits with the, with the soundtrack and the words and everything, did that do anything for you? Like, did it make you pumped for what was coming next? It was just kind of, (laughs) okay, that's a choice. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if pumped is the right word. I was, I was intrigued. I was definitely intrigued. I did not realize that um, Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer were in this movie at all. You know, I, I really only knew about, um, you know, the Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta and um, uh, Uma Thurman. So, yeah, I was a little bit um, surprised and confused and intrigued. Of, oh, these these two characters and they I have no idea what's going what's going on, where the story is going or anything like that. Um, I do really like just to talk about the visuals again, but the um the choice of typography for the the title and then for the credits you know it it Mm -hmm. definitely evokes that sort of 40s 50s 60s pulpy um you know detective story feel Uh, I think it really really sets an interesting vibe yeah and I think also one thing that Quentin Tarantino is super well known for is his soundtracks and his movies he he just has a gift for choosing the perfect songs for the perfect moments for the perfect vibe that he's trying to communicate. And I think Reservoir Dogs was super low budget. So it didn't really, if I could, if I remember correctly, I don't think it had a soundtrack at all. And so I think that this film being his second, his second film and everyone was kind of, okay, Reservoir Dogs was super ballsy. Who is this guy? What's he going to do next? And then he's coming out with a literal bang of just this crazy, crazy, but perfect soundtrack right off the bat. And that continues throughout his career. Um, I just love seeing how he started with that. And then he's just like continued to do that with all of his films. Um, Cause the soundtrack in this movie is just so it's so good. And they're great songs in the context of the movies but they're also great songs if you're not watching the movie at all and you just want to listen to them. So, um, yeah, I did, did the soundtrack do anything for you in this movie? Oh, I cannot say, I, I think it fit well with the movie. I, I can't say that I was thinking very specifically about the soundtrack. I was more thinking about the, the story and what was going on on screen. Okay. Gotcha. I, I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think, I just think that his soundtracks are always great no matter what. I mean, I think that the timing of the particular songs that he chose in each scene is perfect and super fitting. But at the same time, I just think that his soundtracks as a whole, they're just, they're such bangers. And I think that, I think it very deservedly so he is just known for his soundtracks. And I definitely have all of his film soundtracks downloaded onto my house. Well, 
Newsflash, guys, I still have an iPad or an iPod. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. So I have all of his soundtracks downloaded and because they're just so great. And I, I mean, I can't say I listen to them frequently, but every once in a while I go back to them and I'm like, dang, these soundtracks are so good. You know, <laughs> they're great in the context of the movie and they're also great if you just listen to them on their own and they're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do always enjoy a director who's really good at picking songs that are great for the moment i mean um danny Boyle's kind of a classic example of that i know martin scorsese is well known for picking having really good soundtracks or uh, needle drops in his movies yeah it's, it's yeah. a rare, rare skill so what what did you think of uh quinn tarantino's foot fetish in this movie we have to talk about it we have to talk about it <laughs> do we <laughs> yes of course we do <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, there were there were a few more shots of Uma Thurman's bare feet than I really needed. <laughs> yep, and also I think the the taxi driver there. There's one point when someone starts accelerating in a vehicle and you see their foot. I don't remember who is that. I don't think it's Uma Thurman's foot, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that there's lots of shots of Uma Thurman's feet of whoever. I think the taxi driver, the female taxi driver. You see her feet accelerating. Oh, Literally, I mean, I th- the opening. Pretty sure you, I'm pretty sure you see um, John Travolta, not John Travolta, uh, Bruce Willis um, accelerating when he goes to run over Bing Rames. Yeah. And then there's a whole, com- like, literally, what, eight-minute conversation in the beginning about a foot massage. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's insane. A foot massage that may have uh, thrown, a- ended up with a man getting thrown out of a window. Yeah. I just... I think that Quentin Tarantino's foot fetish is absolutely fascinating. I don't, I don't understand it at all, um, but I love it. And I think that this movie just, I mean, it goes all out with the foot fetish because others of his movies, mm-hmm. you see the feet, but this movie, there's a whole really long conversation about the ethics of touching someone's feet. <laughs> and it's like, true. is it sexual? Is it not sexual? Does it have to be sexual? And I love that whole scene when when uh, Samuel Jackson is just like, no, it's not sexual, blah, 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 blah. And then John Travolta says, would you touch another man's, would you give another man a foot massage? And Samuel <laughs> Jackson just, like, nope. just goes, fuck you, man. Like, don't ask me that <laughs> Argument <question."> over. <laughs> And Travolta's yeah, like, pretty I mean, scene. I need to look up their action. I always forget their names because there's so many characters. Vincent, Vincent Jules. and Jules. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's so hard because there's so many um, actors in this movie. Yeah. Um, I will say too, well, maybe we'll talk more specifically about it, but the chemistry between John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson is oh, perfection. They have great yeah. banter. Yeah. Another, another quote that me and my dad used to always say growing up is, you want some bacon? No, man. What are you, Jewish? No, I just don't dig on swine. That's all. Yeah, but bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. John Travolta's then, energy in this movie is, is something. I I think that this is his best performance he's ever given. I think that this is the peak of John Travolta. Um, granted, have I seen his entire filmography? Well, I was going to say. No, but... <laughs> I've not seen Saturday Night Fever, so it's either this or Grease for me. Yeah, I've seen quite a few of his movies. Or Hairspray, for sure. uh, Yeah, I think that this is, I mean, this, I think that this role, I actually didn't do any research on this because I was going to say, I feel like this role was made for him. I wonder if it actually was. I wonder if Quentin Tarantino wrote this with him in mind. I feel like I've heard, and I did not do any research on this either, so take this with a grain of salt, but that this was a bit of a comeback for him, that he'd been kind of 
his career had been floundering for several years and this movie has kind of brought him back into the national consciousness and then after this movie he floundered again for a yeah. very long time <laughs> um, yeah, one was face off <laughs> uh, right <laughs> maybe that's his uh, best performance i don't know i haven't seen it yeah um yeah and then and then another quote that we used to always say is like well you know i think i'm just gonna walk the earth what you mean walk the earth <laughs> Oh my, like we literally would just quote this all the time. I think just me and my dad would do it. I don't really remember if anyone, I don't think anyone else in my house has even seen this movie. Mm-hmm. I think my mom, my mom's not particularly a Quentin Tarantino fan. She might've seen part of this and like not watch it again. But um, yeah, me and my dad love Quentin Tarantino. And so we would just like quote this all the time. So um, <laughs> bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Uh, check out the big brains on Brat. I know. I'm just that that line, it. I know. It's I've so heard. funny. Yeah. It's so good. Um, yeah. So just, I guess, like, I know we've all already kind of touched on this, but I just wanted to make sure that if we needed to have a longer portion dedicated to it, I think that the blocking in this movie is so fantastic. Where people are standing, what they're doing when they're standing there, the moments in which they move. Because they're in the opening or one of the opening sequences when Vincent and Jules kind of uh, what like they they go into those guys' apartment to get the case. And uh, when Jules is kind of holding the gun at the other guy's head, you just see Vincent standing in the background holding his gun. And then at one point he cocks it. And then just like him moving around in the background, going to the fridge, looking in the cabinets, lighting a cigarette you know, Royale with Chi, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. him just sort of so puttering great. around while Samuel L. Jackson is yeah. standing. And then also the revival scene where they, you know, stab Mia with, with the needle after she's overdosed, you see like John Travolta and, um, and the, uh, and Lance, I think his name is Lance, the character's yeah, name, the drug him and Lance in the foreground, but then in the background, like his, his wife is there, Lance's wife is there and she's kind of smiling because she thinks this is fascinating because she doesn't really care if this woman lives or dies and then slowly the other woman who is kind of just smoking in the background her head appears in there too and she's like what's going on i just well i I did not watch that scene so i'll take your word for it but oh you didn't watch that scene at all i well you know my thing about needles i did you see him draw on her heart with the with the red magic marker that i did see through my fingers (laughs) (laughs) okay gotcha that scene's so good um but yeah just the blocking of that scene is so so fantastic and um the blocking in this whole movie is great and just the choices of how people are just moving and the cinema i just oh it's so well made i I just it's oh this movie is a miracle i just i can't (laughs) i watch this movie and i just think how is something like this possible from like from very beginning to end, I feel like every single choice was so intentional from how he directs the actors to the wor- the costume choices that are made, to the camera angles, to the... I know I already said all of this, but I feel like every single choice was so thought out because Quentin Tarantino is known for doing that. Like He writes entire books that he gives to his actors to be like, read this to understand where your characters... Co- like. He just, I feel like he sits in a basement for years and just, just plans out these entire intricate stories and they're, ugh, 
It's amazing. I love it. I, I love him so much. There's a reason why he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I I can appreciate that. Yeah. What do you think, Um, actually, not to backtrack too much, but um, what do you think about the title and what, what does the title mean to you in the context of what the movie is doing? Um, I don't, the, the title, do, the title doesn't really mean much to me beyond that it's a callback to Pulp Fiction that was made in the 50s. Beyond that, I don't really think about it because it's like, oh, it's just kind of making a connection to these types of stories that were written at that time with this type of look. Beyond that, I haven't even thought about it. But your brain is different from mine. So if you have <laughs> thoughts, please tell me. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, I was um, – because I was just – you know, people talk about Pulp Fiction being a very postmodern film, which um, it most absolutely is. You know, I was it was really interesting to watch that in that context, seeing the way this is a movie that is the storyline is very disjointed. Um, there's a sort of um, fracturing and diffusion of um, of the narrative. You know, there's not one main character. You're following many different threads, and you're dr- jumping between um several of them so there's no sort of one person or one storyline that kind of claim to be take ownership over the entire movie and it's a movie that's filled with references to the past and kind of ironic um easter eggs and and winks and nods and things like that um visual cues i mean there's literally they go to a 50s diner where everything around them is some sort of kitschy you know pastiche of the 1950s um and the just the entire conversation between um, between Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta toward the end, where they're talking about the idea of a miracle, and you know, one of them thinks a miracle occurred, and the other thinks it did not, and that idea of doesn't even a freak occurrence. Yeah, you does it even a matter? I witnessed a freak, a freak occurrence. <laughs> yeah, does it even matter what whether one a miracle occurred Vincent? or not? Because you know, it, it just depends on your the way you look at it or, or what the the occurrence does to you, you know, these are all ideas that we talked about in my, my, um, some of my master's courses when talking about what postmodernism is doing and post-secularism and this idea of an, an ambiguity and, um, living in the liminal space between, you know, something supernatural is occurring and something supernatural is not occurring and how you're finding meaning in that liminality, um, you know, and, even without a definitive, you know, yes or no answer. So yeah, I found the movie really fascinating to watch as this sort of, um, like a the poster <laughs> of postmodern art and finding meaning out of all of this sort of fracturing and disjointedness and pastiche from the past and being able to create something new out of all of that. Yeah, I think one thing that I've always known but I think is really coming to the forefront as we're recording more episodes of this podcast. When you watch movies, you're really, really looking for like a meaning. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Whereas my perspective is I'm just here for the ride. And how is this movie making me feel? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you don't also feel things when you watch movies. And that doesn't mean that I also don't look for meaning when I watch things, but I don't know. I just think that it's, I think that me finding meaning is kind of 
is supplementary a word? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you're more about the of, experience of it. And I'm more of about the analyzing and dissecting the meaning afterward, I think. Yeah. And it's like ways. we both have the other experiences as well, but mm-hmm. they're not what we're looking for going in or what we're hoping for going mm-hmm. in. Um, yeah. Yeah. One, so this is, I, for me, yeah. this was a movie where I, I won't say I hated the experience, but I definitely did not enjoy the experience in the way that you do. <laughs> you know, there's mm-hmm. some scenes that I agree were hilarious and I, I really enjoyed. And there were some scenes that were really hard to watch. And I found, I think I find the characters a lot more unlikable and difficult to connect to than you do. Um, hmm. But it was a movie where I came away with it thinking about a lot of different things and trying to unpack and analyze what is going on. You know, why are these choices made? What is Quentin Tarantino saying? Things like that. And that's what I think I do ultimately really respect and like about it. But for you, it's much more about the actual experience of it and your fascination with the characters and what's going on and what's going to happen next and things like that, you know, which is a very different but equally valid to experience. (laughs) Which which characters did you not find likable? I'm curious. All of them? Because I literally <laughs> I literally like every single character in this movie. Like there's wow. none of them that I don't like. Except for actually no. Tim Roth I don't like hmm. and Honey Bunny I don't like. I think that well no, it's not that I dislike them. I just think that Yeah. I just think that they're bad people. Whereas everyone else it's like well, they're ah, all I bad mean, people. But I don't think so. I don't think that they're all bad like Well no, I they're think they're different. That they're, they're all they're different. Levels of bad people. No, I won't say they're all bad people because um, Fabienne, uh, Bruce Willis's girlfriend, she seems fine. Um, and that's about it. But <laughs> they're all different <laughs> levels of bad people. They're all compelling characters. Like, don't get me wrong. You can be a um, you can be an unlikable character, but still be compelling to watch like a Don Draper, for, <laughs> for instance. Um so, you know, I'm not saying that they're bad characters. I'm not saying that they're poorly right. written. I yeah. just find them unlikable as, you know, like yeah. I would cheer if you got your comeuppance to one degree uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think that these people are super likable. Like I, I would hang out with all of them, <laughs> except for Bruce Willis. I would not hang out with Butch. Yeah. But I feel like the rest of the characters, I would be like, hey, let's hang out sometime. You seem like a fun person. (laughs) Will I participate in what you're doing? Absolutely not. But like, you seem like a chill person to hang out with. (laughs) Yeah. I think I found Samuel L. Jackson's character, Jules, to be the most likable by that definition. Like, I I would love to hang out with him and hear all of his his thoughts on various things. About Um, walking the earth. Well, walking the earth. (laughs) That's a bum. Uh, You know what that is? That you've decided to be a bum. <laughs> How long you plan on walking the earth? I don't know. If I need to, I'll walk forever. What is a miracle, Vincent? An act of God? And what's an act of God? When the impossible becomes possible? <laughs> I like, yeah, I, I've watched that scene so many times. I could, I could quote the whole thing. Ugh. What matters is that I felt the touch of God. Um, and then, and then the, I just love how that whole conversation concludes with, I'm going to take a shit. <laughs> Cause he's like, I'm not so having many this times in this anymore. movie. Vincent is leaving conversations to go take a shit or to go take a piss. Like, and they're crucial <laughs> moments every single time. Like he literally lives because of certain moments when he goes to the bathroom and he literally dies he literally dies because of when he went to take a piss yeah and i also love that 
this movie obviously is not in chronological order, Mm -hmm. but I love how there's, you can see the continuity between things, Mm -hmm. even though they're not in order. And I love how if this movie were to go in chronological order, every scene after this diner scene, Jules is not in. So it's mm-hmm. very, it's like clear that he did get out of the game and he is walking the earth now. Yeah, I did not even think after about that. that diner, you'd mm-hmm. like, we don't see him again if the movie was in chronological Yeah, order. I mean, granted, um, I don't think there are that many opportunities that he would have been in it, but I like, to, yeah, like to think that he they, got they out could of have, They could have written him into the scene where he goes to find Bruce Willis at his apartment. He could have been written into the scene, you know, he could have been written into other parts, but he wasn't because there's a lot of Vincent after this. Um, but yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which can I just say, I do love the way that this movie is structured. That's sort of, um, I don't know if you would call it a ring structure, but it's sort of the, the way it sort of starts and ends in the same place. And then you're cutting to different times in between kind of leading to the middle and then going away from it. And yeah, I think it's structured really, really interestingly. Yeah. And the fact that it all works is just, it's so methodical. It's just, it's so, it's so (laughs) well executed. Um, And it's so, there's so many just, I don't know, just innovative things that are done here. There's so many things that were just not, they hadn't been done before or just I just I love it there's mm-hmm. so many this which movie, this movie is groundbreaking I guess is what I'm saying in mm-hmm. so many ways this film is groundbreaking oh absolutely yeah which of the um the store story segments is your favorite if you had to pick oh. a favorite don't do this to me don't <laughs> don't make me do this like making you choose one of your children I feel like this is what I'll choose because I think that this is something that could be taken out and be a complete story in and of itself. It could be a short film. You don't need anything before it or anything after it, and it would be a beautiful work of art. Sure. It is the scene with uh, Mia and Vincent going out to dinner. Mm. That whole sequence, I am obsessed with how that entire scene is, is written their dialogue, their their chemistry with each other, just the 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 dance at the end, the twist, the mm-hmm. the food that they order, the vibe of the restaurant, the just all of it. I think that even though there's so many other moments in this movie that I love, I feel like they 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 benefit from having more of a story revolving around them. Whereas I feel like this scene could stand alone and it would not benefit from mm-hmm. having more around it. It It is what it is regardless yeah. of whether there's more or less. Yeah. I and will say – I love it. I will say Jules is the character that I find most likable or most sympathetic uh, of the sort of main characters, not the innocent bystanders. But I think um, Mia is the character that I find most compelling. I'm, I had never really understood um, – Uma Thurman as an actress fully I think until I saw this performance I was like oh my goodness she's fantastic you know you cannot take your eyes off of her every time she's on screen and the the character that she's playing where she's this sort of you know trophy wife kept woman of this gangster but when she's in this context that context that she's been taken out to dinner with one of her gangster husband's um, henchmen She's so in charge and she knows exactly what she wants to do. And she wants to be a little bit playful and she wants to do 
crazy, silly things. And she's kind of curious about Vincent, um, but also just really likes exerting her own kind of power and her own quirkiness. Um, yeah, she's she's so compelling to watch. It's really fantastic. It's such a star-making performance. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I don't I don't even know how to talk about yeah. her I will also say, and again, I have been watching a lot of Mad Men recently, but while watching this movie, I had... <laughs> while watching that scene specifically, I had the thought, should I start to smoke? <laughs> uh, they make it look so cool. <laughs> I mean, Geneva... I'm a prop buyer. Do you want me to buy you some fake cigarettes? You <laughs> Please <can> do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I just, I love, I love their entire dynamic. I love how, I, I just, I feel the reality of just their different positions in this world of mm-hmm. the power Mia, differential between like them. Mia is the mob boss's trophy wife, like you said, and Vincent is just. I'm just here. I'm just doing what I'm told. Yep. Please just stop kind of seducing idiot. me. I don't yeah. like, I know my life is in danger, but also you're super hot. But also like, ah, I just, I just love how he tries to be apathetic and she pulls him in and then it's, ugh. but then she's also kind of like, no, I'm not into this, but I, I just, I think it's great. And I love how, you know, even though I said that this scene is perfect on its own, which I think that it is, I love how there is the sequence after this where they go home. And I mean, the, Vincent is literally in the bathroom long enough for Mia to do a whole dance and overdose, which, so he <laughs> literally is giving himself a pep talk to not have sex with this woman for a very long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 20 minute pep talk yeah and it's just that's how much that's how much power she has and that's how much tension is being built during this scene and but I also love how the dynamic totally changes once she overdoses and it's just kind of a snap back to reality of oh no this woman is my mob boss's wife and if this happens then I'm dead and you know and it's just and and then I love how also after this sequence and this whole intimate night that they have together, we then see them very briefly a few days later. And she just says to him kind of calmly and flippantly, thanks so much for the dinner the other day. And mm-hmm. we just move on. You know, it, I just feel like there's a whole other story there of where are they going from here? Although they're not going to go anywhere because Vincent gets killed after being in the bathroom. But um, I just feel like there's so much. It, there's a whole world built around these two people and they feel like real people because of that scene they don't feel like characters they feel like real people living real lives and uh yeah I and and I also love that moment when uh when they're pulling up in the car and Mia says to him don't be a and then she draws a square so she she doesn't say don't be a square she says don't be a and then the movie adds the dotted lines yeah, in case you're like not quite o- sure what she's drawing <laughs> yeah there's like the outline can... oh yeah also Vincent wearing a bolo tie. I love it. I think that it's great. I think it's so fitting for his character. Um, he thinks he's a cowboy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you roll me one of those, cowboy? You can have this one, cowgirl. So good. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, there's so many, th- that whole sequence, just the, ugh. I'm sorry, did you just order a $5 shake? Yeah, that's a shake. That's milk and ice cream. That's five dollars. Uh huh. <laughs> they don't. You don't put bourbon in it or nothing. No. Just checking. 
<laughs> and then he tastes it. That's pretty good fucking milkshake. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know if it's worth $5, but it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, I just, I love, John Travolta is such a good actor in this movie. It's just his performance of, oh, it just, it blows me away. It blows me away. John Travolta is Vincent. He just is. And um, I think the casting is perfect, which I'm going to do research after this. I wonder if Quentin Tarantino wrote this role with him in mind, because it just feels too perfect to be, like, happened by chance. Um, so let's, let's move on to the Bruce Willis sequence. Um, I will say this is the sequence that is the least interesting to me. Um, I think not the least interesting, but I don't know. I just think the, the rape sequence is kind of the part of this sequence that holds it all together and really completes the story of that section. But because I can't watch it, mm-hmm. it's just a little, it doesn't connect with me as much. And I do think that Butch is the least likable character in this movie. I think that he just, it really pisses me off when she keeps saying, when um, when his girlfriend keeps saying, you know, oh, where'd you get that motorcycle? He's like, it's a chopper. It's not a motorcycle. It's a chopper. I'm like, okay, stop mansplaining. They're literally like, I stop. Yeah. It's it's a freaking motorcycle. Calm down. It's not a motorcycle. It's a chopper, baby. I'm like, stop. That's annoying. As someone who had never seen this movie before and did not know where that storyline was going, it is kind of impressive how effectively it sort of gets me invested in their relationship at the beginning when they're being cute together and then immediately flips the script as soon as Mm. he finds out that Mm -hmm. she forgot his father's watch and completely flips out on her and you're like oh no this guy is you know it's no accident that he killed someone in the ring he is a dangerous abusive person and i'm now afraid for her (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder how and why did they, not how and why did they get together, because I guess that's not necessarily uncommon, which is unfortunate, but how did they meet and all of that. But um, yeah, I yeah, I think um, I do, one of the things I do like about this sequence is um, I do think there's a lot of beauty there in the beginning when they're kind of having their whole um, just intimate time. And I love particularly, I don't know the exact quote, but um, his his girlfriend says at one point something along the lines of, it's interesting to me how what the human eye f- finds attractive versus what the human touch finds attractive oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. seldom the same thing. Yeah. And what that is attractive is a, to the touch and what is attractive to the eye is not necessarily the same thing. Something like that, which was a really yeah. interesting idea that stuck out to me. Yeah, I think it's a really profound statement. And I think that if we as a society were to meditate more on that, I wonder where we would, how we would change. Uh, Because, yeah, I don't know. It comes from this whole weird conversation, at least I find it weird, of her saying, I wish that I had a belly. But it's just kind of like, why are you talking so much about this? But then it hits with this really profound um, sentence that I think, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's odd, but I think it's beautiful. Um, and I also do like how at the end of this sequence, I, I I like how Butch and Marcellus, how their story concludes in terms of them having this, like this, this male camaraderie of, I don't know, just 
experiencing a trauma together. Not that I'm pro people experiencing trauma together, but I like how because of what's happened to them, they kind of see each other in this human light of let's put our petty bullshit to the side and really just look at each other as people. And you, because Geneva, I don't know if you did watch that sequence, but from what I remember, um, Butch did have the opportunity to leave and leave Marcellus behind, but he didn't. And I think that that is a, a, a really, um, a really beautiful choice for his character to make. Um, and I think that there's a lot of complexity in Butch because he can be very empathetic and very humane, but then also, like you said, kind of violent and dangerous. And yeah. he's an intriguing character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. that it It's a choice that shows there isn't... There is humanity to him. Um, yeah, like you say, he, he is a complex person. You know, I I think Bruce Willis is really great in this movie too. Um, his sort of flat affect, kind of dead eyed look when he's in the taxi being brought to his girlfriend, and he has just killed this person in the ring, and you're not sure. Well, I think at least my assumption at that point is that he had this was a complete accident, and he's kind of in shock and processing it. And a little bit later, we find out that he has this whole escape plan set up with his girlfriend. And so whether this actually was a complete accident or whether this is something that he had intended to do becomes more kind of a question later on. But it is really compelling seeing him in this sort of shocked, uh, emotionless state. And there's all of this tension because you don't know to what extent he's a victim in this circumstance, what he's planning on doing, whether he's going to be able to get away. Um, And we've just seen him as a child, you know, learning about the horrific backstory of his father's watch, which is kind of hilarious. I mean, you you said this movie is funny. This movie is funny. I would not want that watch. (laughs) It's like, no, it's just, it's hilarious how he's like, Christopher Walken of all people, he's like, this was in your, you know, in your dad's ass and then for five years ass. then it was in mine for two and, and then it's he's like, like here <laughs> it's like maybe i would take the watch if my dad had put it up his ass for like a week but it was up <laughs> two different people's asses for a total of seven years like i'm sorry i don't Did you watch it. it first like <laughs> i don't i don't yeah it was i think just, yeah this movie is funny it's funny in a very like uncomfortable after type of way yeah i think how we deal with uncomfortable um, situations but um so yeah so two things came up in my mind while you were talking one mm -hmm. of which was so i don't know if you were able to piece this together upon your first watch but uh butch winning the fight was not an accident because basically what happened was so i don't know if you remember the sequence when him and marcellus were in the bar and there's kind of this because he was he was paid off to throw the fight but then he doesn't he instead kills the person in the ring um whether the killing is an accident as a result of him intentionally trying to win the fight or whether that was intentional that he tried to kill that guy that i'm not sure about but i know he was paid to by Marcellus to throw the fight and then he didn't. Yeah, it is from what I know it was intentional that he killed the other man cuz he bet on himself. He bet on himself to win the fight and so when he won, yeah, that was kind of the um the betrayal there, but 
that there was something else that you said. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, um, it was about Butch and, um, oh man. Fabian is boyfriend? No. <clears throat> Marcellus? No. The taxi driver? No. <laughs> um, first of all, the taxi driver is super weird. I don't know why she keeps strange. asking, like, what is it? F-? I was like, Her get out of that creepy, cab. like, getting off on the idea that he yeah. killed a man in the ring was... Um, yeah, she's she's super strange. weird. I would want out of that cab immediately. Oh, <laughs> I wrote down how, um, how the running chase scene between uh, Butch and Marcellus is quite funny. After, because Bruce Willis is kind of, or Butch is driving down the street after he gets his watch and Marcellus is walking through the street. He's like, you motherfucker. And then, and then Butch hits him with the car and then he crashes into the thing and they're both kind of running away from each other, Mm -hmm. but, but they're both basically like they can't walk, but (laughs) he's firing wildly and hitting all these random bystanders. They're just stumbling around. It's just great. I thought it was, that's what I mean. This movie is so, it's just so funny. I I don't know. I find it funny. Um, It is. It is in parts. Yeah. But um, yeah. And I mean, I've just written down so many things here about different moments of the beautiful cinematography. Um, there's a scene in the apartment when Butch's girlfriend is standing there and you see her reflection in the television. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. the scene with Butch in the car and the taxi driver. She's got this amazing smoke kind of blowing in front of her face. There's the um, after the the I guess this isn't necessarily cinematography. It's just a choice. But when, after the rape, when Marcellus cocks his gun, it's in slow motion to show like, whoa, this is really um, just intense. I mean, there's so many things here that I think are just great. And um, speaking of um, blocking, I was very amused by the um, the scene in the bathroom between Butch and his girlfriend where there's all of this strategic blocking and placement of towels and things oh, like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mask uh, Bruce Willis's dick. I don't think it masks funny. very well, but... Uh, no, not yeah. completely. <laughs> um, it just made me think of Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never made that connection, but now I'm never going to be able to watch that scene the same <laughs> ever again. Um, Can I talk about how much I love Harvey Keitel in this movie? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, of <laughs> I got, course I love, you can. I love Har- Harvey Keitel in general. Do you find and... him to be a dislikable character in this movie? No, I find him or very unlikable. Likable. I mean, he's yeah. laying down the law, and yeah. Vincent was really starting to annoy me by that part. So him laying down the law, Vincent was great. I love that Vincent was like, can you just, could you say a please would be nice? And he's like. Harvey Keitel's like, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, he's like, Do you me. know why I'm here? Like, literally, I'm here because of you. <laughs> yep. I, I mean. That whole, just that whole concept. Do you not find that funny of them sitting in the car and he's like, man, you gotta have an opinion. Then what happened? Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. It's so, <laughs> it's so funny. It's just, man. And then they, they have to wash down and they're in these stupid clothes that make them look like dorks, which I think is not well written. <laughs> Any, I'm like, Quentin Tarantino, he learned. He learned he needed to stop doing freaking cameos in his movies because he is not an actor. I know he I, took acting classes, mm-hmm. but he is not a good actor. I, I don't know. I didn't think he was that bad, actually. I was kind of favorably impressed. But granted, oh, the bar is like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan in some of his early movies, which... Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, very talented filmmaker, 
love him as a filmmaker not a great actor so you know there's the bar is low for for director non-actor director cameos in their own movies Pete Jackson did a great job in in the Lord of the Rings because he never said anything. He just <laughs> well, walked it's by the, the Alfred Hitchcock or... school of uh, director cameos, which I think yeah. is what yeah. most directors should be doing. Yeah. And then another unique editing choice that happens in this sequence. I love how uh, Jules gets off the phone with Marcellus asking for help and then they're driving up to uh, the house and there's this this um this kind of subtitle on the bottom that says nine minutes and 37 seconds later. I just think that that's so witty and such a, it's an unnecessary choice, but I love that it's a choice that was made. It's just, it's, ugh, this movie is a work yeah. of art. Well, when I love Harvey Keitel is like, um, it's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. And then it's nine yep. minutes and 37 minutes. So it's, he's even surpassing his own speed record. Yeah. I, I wrote down two quotes of Harvey Keitel in this scene. One of them is, well, I'm a mushroom cloud, motherfucker, motherfucker. (laughs) And then the other one is, I love this one. Don't be afraid of the soap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that scene where Jimmy is taking so much pleasure in helping Harvey Keitel order them to strip down and wash themselves off. And they're just like, they're just having a great time (laughs) forcing these two guys. Don't be afraid of the soap. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so, it's so great. I love it. Oh man. It's, it's just fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have anything else to say other than like, I could just quote the entire movie, but I'm not (laughs) going to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it, is there anything Geneva? I would genuinely love to hear this. Um, is there like, what are your criticisms of this movie? Because you obviously didn't like it as much as I do. And maybe that's just because the tone is not as much your thing. But if there's anything about it specifically that you're like, I didn't think this was well done or I didn't like this. Aside from, you know, the profanities and racial slurs, which is yeah, the racial a common slurs theme for Quentin Tarantino. Kind but. of a lot. Uh, kind of unnecessary. I found them more unnecessary than the foot stuff. Um, mm mm-hmm. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't really have criticisms of the movie apart from that. It's more just, this wasn't my thing. It didn't work for me, mm-hmm. but that's an entirely, it's just subjective matter of taste. You know, I, okay. I don't have a whole lot that I can levy against this movie and say, I think this was poorly done. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand why they did this apart from those things. Um, yeah. I it just wasn't for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, not every movie is for everyone. Yeah. Okay. I was just genuinely curious if there was anything that you specifically didn't like and that was the reason why the movie didn't connect with you. But it sounds yeah. like it just wasn't wasn't your yeah. thing. I mean it was for the, the definitely for the first good chunk of it. I was kind of I don't know where this is going and I don't know why I should care about any of this. I don't know what it's actually trying to say. But then by the end I think it did wrap up in a way where I was like, okay, I can I can look back now on the movie as a whole and appreciate it as something that is saying something, something that is um, clearly very thoughtful and um, <clears throat> yeah, capable of being appreciated and analyzed. So yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's a matter of taste. It's not to my taste, but I can appreciate that it is well done. You're making me think of this one uh, interview because 
again, going back to what we were both kind of saying before of you like to find meaning. And so for you, even from the very beginning, you were just kind of thinking, where's this going? What is the point of all this? Whereas I'm like, I don't care. This is just fun vibes and super crazy. And because in my opinion, this movie is kind of about nothing. I don't think there's a meaning behind any of it. Um, But you're reminding me of, I almost see you and I as the different sides of this interview, which I think we've talked about this before and maybe you've seen it before. But there's this one um, news interview that Quentin Tarantino did like 10 years ago. And the, the, the newswoman who's interviewing him is like, Quentin, I just have to ask you, what is the deal with all the violence? Why do you do this? And Quentin Tarantino responds, he goes, because it's so fun, Janet. <laughs> and it's just, I seen this, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I feel like I relate to him so much in the sense that people are asking him, why do you have all this violence? Why is it so excessive? Why are you doing these things? And it's just kind of, because why not? Because it's fun. Because it's it's just, it's expressive and it makes us excited. And it, you know, for some people, it might not make them excited because yeah, they're well, wondering why. But it's like, it doesn't have to be for a reason. It's just fun. Well, I mean, isn't it worth, though, digging into why we would find violence exciting in this way and if that sort of excitement is a good thing you know like well i i think i i appreciate his use of violence because i think it is saying something about um us as a human being as us as a society that we do find this exciting and you know there there is something a little bit subversive in the way that he uses it but I think it's something that's worth interrogating. I, I don't know. I, I, I would be nervous about just allowing that kind of a violence to go by uninterrogated. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that. I think that honestly, all humans have within them the capacity to kill people, and, but I think we know that it's wrong, and so we don't do that. But I think that all of us have that within us, and so I feel like art can be a way to get that out of your system in a way that's not actually affecting anyone. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. This is not me saying that I want to kill anybody. I, I, <laughs> I, I do not have a kill list. <laughs> I'm not Arya Stark. I do not have a kill list. I have never wanted to kill anyone. <laughs> but, but I do think that all of us have that primal capability within us to kill people. And I think that there is something to be said for the beauty of art of giving us the freedom to access that parts of ourselves in a way that is okay. Um, And I think that Quentin Tarantino does do it in my opinion, in a way that's okay because it's not, it's not hateful. It's not, you know, his characters are never, in my opinion, they're never really killing people because like, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not something I feel like his movies are just not grounded in reality. So mm-hmm. it's not really this concept of, oh, this is someone in the real world who I hate and therefore I want to kill them. And it's encouraging that sort of violence because it's just, no, this is a fake world. This type of scenario doesn't exist. Sure. And so, it's so let's, cartoonish. It's hard to take. Yeah. It, like it's not it's not a reflection of violence that actually happens in real life, in my opinion. And so therefore, it's not really that harmful. Yeah. Well, he um, plays with taboos in a really interesting way. I mean, obviously, there is the profanity and the racial slurs, which are 
again, worth questioning and interrogating, but just in the way that he uses violence and especially its juxtaposition with humor, you know, so much of the humor of this movie, for me at least, comes from the uncomfortableness of these people are having this inane conversation and banter and it's really silly. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they walk into a room and they're shooting people. And there's this kind of humor that comes from this, like, oh my goodness, these two things I never see together. It seems like they should be together. That's kind of funny because I don't know how else to react. Like, I don't know how else to react to this except by laughing. Hmm. I would say I laugh just because I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's because I don't know how to respond to it. I'm like, this is just hilarious. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. but I will say that, you know, I do think... I don't know. There's a lot of people that flat out criticize Quentin Tarantino and think that he's just an insensitive person. I don't think that that's true. I think he's just an artist who's expressing himself. I don't think he has harmed anyone in his real life as as far as I know. I don't know. But he, he doesn't seem like he's someone who's hateful or is racist or whatever. I think this is just the worlds that he creates. And the fact of the matter is, is like he's there are white people in the world that say that word and there are people who fought in the war that call the people they were fighting against those words like that is people do say those things and so it's not him necessarily saying this is how I feel it's him just saying this is probably what these care how these characters would act and what they would say but all that being said for me I do think that out of all the movies of his well I've seen all of his films but there are three particular moments where, for me personally, I do think he does go too far. I don't think it means he's a bad person. But for me, it's like, I can't I can't watch this. Like, I can't watch the rape scene in this movie. I can't watch the two slaves killing each other in Django Unchained. And I can't watch the scene in Reservoir Dogs where they're talking about um, how just, like, hurting women by having sex with them for the first time like those are three things that I just can't like I don't I can't listen I can't watch um because it's too much for me but I don't I don't think that says anything about Tarantino's character I think that he just I don't know I think he is um very open about the art that he makes and I admire that and again like I don't think ultimately he's harming anyone um because the world in which he places these these this violence or whatever it might be it's not really something that <laughs> they're not real life scenarios so yeah um, yeah I mean I guess for me it's just um like I I think it I think the it is saying something about our society and we are willing to license violence against um or not against you know, particularly when I think about how often his movies, uh, you know, of the <laughs> the very of the limited amount that, that you've seen. seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how often there is violence against more or less innocent bystanders, bystanders. And, you know, in this movie, there's kind of humor that comes from that. Like I'm thinking of when um, after the, the car crash and Marcellus is shooting at Butch and he hits this random woman in the leg and she's screaming. And it's it's a it's a funny scene, you know. Um, and I think part of the humor comes from the, like, the shock value of, oh my goodness, this poor woman just got shot in the leg and in this incredibly awkward, random situation with these two people who look ridiculous because they're shooting at each other, even though they're, they can barely walk. And there's that humor, humor to it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's worth thinking about 
who are the people who are experiencing violence in his movie and what is the orientation of the movie toward that violence. And I'm not saying that that's an illegitimate way to use it. I'm just saying it's the way that that scene is framed is saying something at least about us that we find humor in that sequence of, um, you know, the subjectively like really <laughs> terrible thing that's happening that is also just really ridiculous and funny, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of rambling. I just, I, I do think it's really interesting the way that he chooses to use violence. And um, I think it is, for me anyway, it is really worth drilling down and interrogating because it does get uncomfortable sometimes. And I think, I mean, like I said before, I have very mixed feelings about the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's in large part because I can't figure out to what extent that use of violence crosses the line in that context. And I think part of it is because of who the violence is directed toward, because on the one hand, it's like, oh, these, you know, these dirty hippie murderers, but then it's also these people who are part of a cult um, and who are brainwashed. And so, I don't know, I just have a hard time with that ending. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm just kind of rambling. I just, I find his use of violence really interesting, but also worthy of exploration and sometimes critique. Yeah, I think I, I'm actually really glad that, that you're here because I think that, I mean, just period. I'm glad that oh, you're here. You. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you, the co-host of this but, podcast. <laughs> um, I mean that in more, more ways than one. Um, but anyway, I, I'm very glad that I have your opinion here on this particular episode because I do think that Quentin Tarantino is a very controversial director. He is someone where people either love his movies or they find them very distasteful. And I think that it's very valuable on this particular episode to have someone who's kind of on one person who's on each side of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I, I and wouldn't I, say I find them distasteful. It's more like... I appreciate things about them, but I also struggle with things about them. Right. But I feel like you connect a lot more with the criticisms that are hmm. that are posed towards Quentin Tarantino's sure. movies. Whereas I think that those I, I kind of think that those critiques are honestly a little bit illegitimate in my opinion. <laughs> like not illegitimate, but I, I just Yeah, you I'm don't just you like, don't think they have as much validity. I don't Maybe. think I don't think they're problematic. I don't think that it's a pro like I don't take issue with it. I think that it's funny and I don't think that's that should be something that is debated. I think that we should just enjoy them for what they are and enjoy, enjoy his unique perspective. Um, and I think there are a lot of people on both sides. And so I'm glad that we have one person on each side here of I I kind of don't criticize it at all I I do think like I said there are certain moments for me where it does cross the line and I can't watch it but I don't see that as something problematic I just see that as something where this is really hard for me and I won't watch it but it's fine yeah um I and I realized, also don't oh, I also don't see a lot of innocent bystanders in his movies getting harmed like you know you're saying the the one bystander who got hit with a bullet and it's funny Sure, that's one innocent bystander out of everyone else in this movie that was killed that was kind of justified other than the people in the diner at the end, but nothing happens to them. They end up leaving and it's not a big deal. Or I don't see a lot of innocent bystanders being being harmed in his movies. Um, but 
again, like, does it matter? Because all these characters are, are fictional and not real in a universe that's not real and it's fictional. And the whole, I feel like his universes are built under the definition of this world is funny and this world is a joke. I feel like that is just the definition of his films. Um, and because of that, I just don't think that the things are meant to be taken seriously. I just think they're meant to be uh, a fun, a fun ride. Um, but again, that's just my opinion. And there are a lot of people that are of a different opinion. So just to circle back and repeat myself for a millionth time, I'm glad that we have people of two different perspectives here in terms of just how we relate to the violence that he depicts, because it is undeniable. He depicts a lot of violence and there's a lot of brutality. Um, and I love it. I think it's amazing. And uh, no one else does it the way that he does. And I think that's why he's a master at his craft. Um, but I also can see, I don't necessarily understand, but I can see kind of why people would take issue with it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also to be clear, um, you know, when I ask these questions about this movie, especially, um, not so much once upon a time in Hollywood, because I do have sort of genuinely mixed feelings about this, but with this movie specifically, when I ask these questions, I'm less saying, I'm not really saying, I think it's bad. This use of violence is bad. And I, I don't think it should be here, be here. I'm more saying this use of violence is really interesting. Let's dig into what it means about, you know, what he's saying. Let's dig into what it means about the audience who finds that enjoyable or what it says about society that, um, that, um, you know, watch this movie and, um, really connected to the the use of violence you know I'm more saying he put it here now let's analyze it and figure out what what to do with it you know and I, I think so, again this is kind of the difference between how the two of us approaching approach yeah. movies because you're approaching them as a filmmaker and saying you know let me look at the craft and let me experience the ride that the filmmaker put together and I'm more saying like let's put look at what the filmmaker left for us and then pick it up from there and analyze it I mean, it's literally that interview. Why? Why do you do all this? Because <laughs> it's, fun, it's Janet. so fun, Janet. <laughs> I mean, it sums it up perfectly. I yeah, think it's yeah. so great. Um, yeah. And I think also, Geneva, what you're saying is you think that I'm a psychopath. <laughs> that is not what I'm like, saying. What does this say about the people that enjoy this type of stuff? Uh, Tatum is a psychopath. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it's okay Geneva you you no. can say it it's fine um yeah no I I'm not a psychopath yeah <laughs> and that's not what Geneva was saying <laughs> I don't want to kill anyone I'm not a psychopath <laughs> I just love Quentin Tarantino movies um okay let's let's move forward a little bit I I'm I'm very I'm genuinely very pleased with this conversation I loved I loved hearing your thoughts. I I kind of anticipated that this would be the way that you would receive it. Um, but I'm glad that you stuck it out and you watched it and you persevered. Yeah. And I'm very I glad admire that I you. Saw it. I've been meaning to see it for a long time. Yeah, and I admire you for weighing the positives with the negatives in your experience. Um, and being very gracious to someone who watched this movie, having basically no negative sentiments towards it at all, <laughs> other than some unnecessary racial slurs that. I don't know why Tarantino continues to do that, but whatever. Um, Okay, so moving forward, I will say off the bat, I did not do any critics reviews this time around because uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, 
my brain is dead from working. And the last thing I wanted to do was deep thinking and research about stuff and read articles and read reviews and pick out blurbs. And I, I couldn't do it. I tried. Completely understandable. I tried and then my brain was screaming at me, don't do this. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do it. So <laughs> um, I don't have any critics thoughts here, but I will say that on Metacritic, this film has a 94 and on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 92% fresh. So a lot of people love this movie. Um, and the film actually won the Palme d'Or. I don't, I don't speak French, so sorry. I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, but the film won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, which is a huge accomplishment, especially as only a second time director. Um, and the film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, of which it, oh, it didn't win Best Editing, of which it only won Best Screenplay, which I think is well-deserved. Um, it was also nominated and snubbed for Best Picture and uh, Best Lead Actor or Best Actor in a Leading Role for John Travolta, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Samuel L. Jackson, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Uma Thurman, Best Director, Quentin Tarantino, Best Editing by Sally Mink. And I think that it should have won all of those awards. That's just my own personal opinion. Yeah. Um, this year, um, I'm not wrong. This is 1994 in which Forrest Gump won Best Picture. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, because that was kind of a, a really interesting lineup. This one that I go back to a lot because it was um, Forrest Gump. It was Pulp Fiction. It was also Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. and um, – quiz show which is an underrated movie that i really love and um i think i've recommended to you a few times i would not give it best picture over either shawshank (laughs) redemption or pulp fiction but is an underrated movie nonetheless and then also four weddings and a funeral um if i'm remembering that correctly so yeah just a really interesting weird picture yeah lineup um i don't particularly like four weddings and a funeral i will say but um kind of nice to see the the spread in genre from that year and yeah. I also would not have given Best Picture to Forrest Gump either. But no, you know, it, it was I, what it was. It was a cultural phenomenon at the time. Forrest Gump is a movie where I feel like I think that it has earned a lot of hate over time because mm-hmm. it won Best Picture. But I think that if it hadn't won Best Picture, people would not hate it as much it because would be I do think or well remembered. Yeah, yeah, I, kind of agree I do with you. think it's an interesting movie. I do think the acting the acting performances are great. I I think the concept of Forrest Gump kind of meeting all of these famous people for random reasons that don't make sense is kind of interesting. Um, I I, I do think it's a good movie. I yeah. think the score is fantastic. I love the film score, um, and I think it's kind of a bummer that people hate on it so much now because I don't think it's that bad of a movie. But yeah, that being I should said, see it again. It's been a long time since I saw it. Yeah, but and that I did being like said, when I saw it. Pulp Fiction should have won Best Picture. I think that Pulp <laughs> Fiction, from top to bottom, is an absolutely, absolutely perfectly executed mm-hmm. film. Uh, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better than this. It really doesn't. Um, and I just, I can't believe that this was his second film and yeah, he made it when crazy. he was like our age. Makes me mad. Um, but you know, there's still hope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't look up all, the age of uh, Orson Welles when he made Citizen Kane. No, no, I, I've I've stopped doing that. It it crushes my creativity and my remember. ambition and my drive for things. Um, but yeah, so I yeah, I guess we can just say our closing thoughts and then we can uh, conclude the episode. But 
I love this movie. Uh, Geneva, I'll let you go. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to review myself. I love this movie. What are your thoughts, Geneva? I <laughs> Anything I, that's going to stick with you? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is a lot of the, about this movie that will s- stick with me. I mean, as, I, as I've said many times, I'm really, really glad that I, I finally watched this movie. And I really do appreciate so much about it. You know, I... I think it's so well made. The craft is incredible. The acting, the writing, the direction, the cinematography. Um, it's obviously so influential in just the f- ensuing 30 years of Hollywood and the way that people make movies. Um, so I'm really glad to see it too in the context of that. In terms of things that'll stick out to me, um, I mean, I, I really do love that, you know, what you talked about earlier, the scene between Uma Thurman and Vincent, um, Uma Thurman and Vincent, just using the actress name and the character name, Uma Thurman and John Travolta, me and Vincent in um, the 50s diner. Uh, I think their dynamic is just so compelling. And then I really love, I mean, I love every scene with Samuel L. Jackson. He's my MVP of the movie, but particularly the scene in the diner at the very end when they're talking about that idea of miracles and Miracle versus a freak occurrence, and then the showdown between um, uh, Jules um, trying to command the room and get Ringo and <laughs> Honey Bunny um, out of the the robbery with um, without any more violence happening. I'm trying very hard. To <laughs> yeah. It's just great. It's so great. Um, so yeah, I think those two things are, are going to stick out to me the most yeah that whole monologue at the end that he gives of just him being like I used to think that this bible passage which is not even a bible passage I used to think that this bible passage was just something intimidating that I could say to someone before yeah I where him. he keeps reframing now, it who are we in this story yeah he reframes yeah. it like three times and then his final conclusion of I've determined that you are the weak is just so how do you how do you even respond to that you know man that's just like crushing mm-hmm. which i need to um, go back and reread that quote now like three times and see what he's there's saying there's so much there frames it yeah yeah there's so so much there and his final conclusion of you are the weak and, and i'm, I'm the, trying to be the shepherd yeah he says i'm the tyranny like of evil man but i'm trying to be the shepherd or I think the gun is the tyranny of evil man and he's trying to be the shepherd. Something like that. Something I know like he that. concludes with the, with um, Tim Roth, the gun, and him. There's three different representations there. Um, but yeah, thank you for watching this movie, Geneva. Um, I, I don't know if you will be rushing to watch more Quentin Tarantino movies, but I hope that you will continue to watch more of his films. <laughs> And uh, I'd love to hear that, especially since you you found so much um, you just, you felt like you discovered so much with Uma Thurman in this role. I would love for you to watch Kill Bill and hear your thoughts because, man, Uma Thurman is a badass. Yeah. <laughs> so she's so great and yeah, she's so I think compelling. She's one of those actresses that she's so talented, but I think her her she started really promisingly in her career, and then her career has kind of struggled at various times over the years, and so I've just the time that I've been paying attention to movies has not really been the time when she has um, been excelling in, you know, picking really great projects or being really prominent in them. So rediscovering her other roles where, um, you know, earlier in her career has been a, a really great gift to see what she can do. And I hope she gives, gets more opportunities in the, 
the future to show what she can do. Yeah. Yeah. What has she Have been up seen- to, actually? What? I feel like I haven't seen her around in a few years. I feel like being something? a mom, maybe? I don't know. Maybe she's a producer now or something, but I haven't seen her in a while. Um, have you seen her in Gattaca? No, I've been meaning to see Gattaca. I, I think you would like Gattaca a lot, yeah. actually. I yeah. think that you would really like Gattaca. Okay, yeah, I would really um, like to see that. And also, if you're a fan of Samuel L. Jackson in this movie, mm-hmm. you should watch... Um, well, I mean, period, you should watch Jackie Brown. Also, you should watch Do the Right Thing, which we'll discuss on this podcast mm. at some point because Do the Right Thing is amazing. But Do the Right Thing... If I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but I think that was kind of Samuel L's first role where he was really being like mm-hmm. Samuel L. The Samuel Jackson. Jackson persona. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, he's just this screaming radio host. I did not know that he was in that movie, actually. Oh, I like I said, I think that was his first or one of his first roles that put him on the map, especially yeah. as this just like outrageous swearing, screaming yeah. man who everyone loves because he's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I remember um, seeing uh, Goodfellas for the first time and he has a small role in that and just getting so excited. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jackman. Yeah, yeah. He's one of my dad's great. favorite actors. And I think if I remember correctly, I think my mom did Samuel L's hair on some show she was on or movie a while ago. And oh my, my dad was like, what? <laughs> Can you get an autograph? Oh, man. Um, That's awesome. But anyway, yeah. So uh, thanks for joining this conversation. Thank you for watching the movie, even though there might have been points when you didn't want to keep watching. You're I don't welcome. know. Yeah, well, um, I mean, my needles phobia, which you know about, I'm very used to. It's nice yeah. to have warning, which you, you gave me, which was very nice yeah. because I'm very I, used to having to wash certain scenes through my fingers. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I can handle needles if they're not being injected, but once they're, ugh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just a shot of a needle is fine. It's the needle going yeah. into the human body, yeah. which I struggle with. Yeah, especially a big one right into someone's heart that they drew with red. Mar- red. Where's the heart? Oh, I don't know where it is. Let me. Do you have a magic marker? What? <laughs> a magic marker? Something. Lan's trying to find his medical book, and his wife is like, "Just, just, you're not gonna find it. Just get over there." It's like you take the needle. No, you take the needle. No, you do it. No, you do it. Yeah. Ah! You brought her into my house. This is yeah. your fault. This is not my fault. Ah! Oh, it's so oh, good. Boy. Yeah, I mean, there's. Ugh. I maybe we should have gone through this movie sequence by sequence so we didn't forget anything, but it's too late now. I feel like we did touch on most of the sequences, I think though. We, yeah, we definitely touched on all of the major storylines, and I think we've touched on basically every scene, even if we didn't cover it extensively. Yeah, I yeah, I think we did kind of touch on all of them. Now that I think about it, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. What are we talking about next week, Geneva? Well, next week we are also going to be talking about meditations on violence and uh, masculinity and. Uh, nostalgia for anyway um no we're doing well no that's not entirely (laughs) it's not entirely a joke (laughs) no we're doing the man who shot liberty valance the 1962 western starring uh john wayne and jimmy stewart so yeah this excited to rewatch it because it's been a few years sorry go ahead this will be the second week in a row where the person who is not the host is going into the movie not necessarily with the highest of, of hopes. I uh, Tatum famously does not like westerns. So yeah, I've yeah. had many people try to convert me. They're like, "Well, if you watch this one, you'll really start to see the. Be- you'll really start to enjoy westerns." And every time I watch one, I'm just 
I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not into it. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not we'll necessarily expecting or hoping that you will be converted. I certainly hope you don't hate the movie. But um, even if I do, I will be as as gracious to you as you were to me today. Not well, that you hated you. Pulp Fiction, yes. but I will uh, say too, I was really. Um, Going back and forth between this movie and another of my favorite westerns, which is Rio Bravo, which is coincidentally uh, one of uh, Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. Um, in the end, I went for this one just because I thought there was slightly more of a chance that you might like it than <laughs> Rio Bravo. But I also Ooh, I don't we'll have to talk about why next week. I'm curious as to why you think that. Uh, yeah, I'm. Well, we'll see. Um, I, like I said, though, I, I'm not necessarily expecting that you will like it or you'll come to some new appreciation for westerns or anything <laughs> like that i just you know between the two i thought well maybe we'll start with this one we'll do real bravo a little bit down the down the road how so, long is this movie um i think it's also slightly shorter than rio bravo which is one of the other reasons that i, want so I feel like westerns are always like four hours and i just can't i think it's a this one's around two hours rio bravo is definitely in the more in the 215 230 um okay. realm that's kind of a slow vibesy a lot long periods of the movie are kind of the characters hanging out with each other type of Ugh. movie <laughs> this one um it's been a few years though since i've seen it i don't remember everything about it so we will see it's got it's got jimmy stewart in it so that mm-hmm. excites me enough to not be dreading watching yeah, this there movie. You go. <laughs> watch it for him so thank you jimmy stewart for giving me hope uh okay well that's it that's it bye (laughs) wow (laughs) so final thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com our theme song was composed by joel rushton and our podcast graphic was designed by kara shin if you like this show and want to hear more please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Till next time.